Fearless Fundraisers, I'm Don Lego, and it's time to buckle up for a new episode of Raise Nation, the one and only podcast made to inspire fundraisers like you to continue making impact in our communities, building better tomorrows, and exchanging ideas. So whether you're a trailblazer or seasoned pro, you'll pick up the trends that transform your fundraising. And together, we'll dive into lively conversations and chat with industry-leading fundraisers and thought leaders to explore hot-button issues and innovative ideas. So stay with us for the next 30 minutes while we inspire you to embrace the future of fundraising. All right, let's get going. I am super excited about my next guest because we're going to talk about some female empowerment in fundraising, consulting, and how we just make that all happen. Please welcome to Raise Nation Radio, Stephanie Pessis-Weil from Empowered Nonprofit. Stephanie, how are you doing? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm pretty surprised that you're joining us because we're recording this in the thick of event season, right? And we're, we're, um, it's, it's, you know, April, what, 27th, 2022. And we're back in person. We're back in the ballroom. We're back on the fields and the concert halls and the hotel rooms. And you must be going crazy right now. Are you not? We are very busy, um, but it's extremely exciting. We actually just had our first in-person event this past Saturday evening, and we had well over 250 people in attendance. And not only were people excited to be out, but we raised a really a ex- oh, sorry about that. Oh my god! I yeah, tell me. For my words, I'm so sorry. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it's overwhelming when you're it in. A, I mean, exactly. we share this. We yeah. share this whole being consultants and planners yeah. and right and and it's just so much input all at once. But exactly. you did well. Proceeds yeah, were up. We raised we raised more money than our goal. Um, we exceeded Ugh. our goal um, by a lot. We doubled our goal uh, for the day of fundraising, and I think it's because people are not only so excited to be back in person, but they're really excited to be there to support the causes that are really important to them, and it feels good. Uh, so Ugh. they're being reminded of what's been missing the last two years from their life, which is connecting in person and being able to benefit the organizations that are really doing the hard work. Well, so I got to go there. What I mean, your first in-person event, like of the season, first back to, you know, back to business, back to connections, like what's different? What's trending? What, what was it like? I mean, you just shared a great deal that proceeds are up. You, you exceeded your goal, right? Those are all good things. Connection, the desire to connect was at a very high level, but Tell me more. I, I, I'm like the, the curious cat right now. I want to know. I haven't been out to an event yet. <laughs> it was very strange to leave the house with my hair and makeup done in a dress. <laughs> Um, a few things did not fit that did in the past. Oh, ouch. Yeah. I'm afraid. I'm afraid I have to go to, um, the AFP icon, uh, event, you know, in Las Vegas, I'm leaving Uh in a couple of days and I'm like, Oh God, what fits me? What fits me? So I get that. Exactly. But we should move on to more important topics. Although I'm sure a lot of women would want to discuss that topic (laughs) and men, by the way. Um, but I, I think I think, you know, what's different is I think that people really feel fortunate to be able to be out. 
um, and connecting. Um, I think that there used to be, you know, oh, I've got to, got to, I have to go to another event. Oh, I have to go to another fundraiser. Um, And we're not really seeing that right now. We're seeing that people are excited. They want to be out. They want to be attending events. Um, I think that they're really seeing things a little bit differently too, from the perspective of how can I uh, not only engage the people that are in person, but how can I also make this event wider spread to that virtual group that maybe geographically didn't live in your area and couldn't make it to your event and, or maybe they couldn't uh, afford the ticket price. So they still want to be engaged. I've had a number of conversations with, um, with, host committee members and event committee members lately where they want to still engage the people that they were able to bring into the event that they were unable to do prior to COVID. So I think that what I'm still seeing a lot of is how are we maintaining connections to the people that are able to be there in person and how are we still making our event accessible to those that cannot um, and making them feel engaged in our fundraising process through an event. Hybrid or was only it was not. It was was not. not. It was uh, well. Actually, yes, it was. It was hybrid in the sense of it was being recorded, and then that was going to be released later. Oh, was a hybrid idea. That's an idea. Exactly, and we're seeing our events. We're doing a little bit more of that um, because I think it's really hard to live stream the night of. uh, You know, because there's so much going on at the event. Uh, You know, you have downtime. You have dinner. You have auction stuff that's going on. Um, so it's much easier to pre we're finding that it's much easier to sign people up for a hybrid event and then actually pre-record it and then release it the next day or maybe later that week um, so that you have some time to edit it and take out the things that people who are at home really are not interested in seeing. Yeah, it's such a challenge because you're almost doing two events in once, right? And yes. I always think of that once my daughter put a thought in my head that, oh, this is such a bad movie. Look at that. It's done with a single camera. And at the time I was like, what is she talking about? But then, you know, I paid attention. I'm like, oh, wow, I really get it. When, when you see a multi-million dollar movie, you really see how there were you know, cameras from all different angles. And it was just all edited and spliced together. Same concept with an event. If you just have a camera pointing to a stage, you know, and sometimes there's activity on the stage and sometimes there's not. And like, are you thinking about how that's affecting the person in their living room? Like just looking at an empty stage. So you really have to work towards making sure that that experience is just as entertaining and engaging every minute that they're watching as the people in the ballroom are entertained and engaged every minute that they're there. And it's, that's hard balance. It's a lot of work. It it is. And I I really thought that we were going to be more readily able to move towards a true hybrid event where we were streaming um, the event live and then having live viewers join us that evening. But I do think that we're finding that that is increasingly more difficult to do Yeah, uh, because of all those things that you just talked about. And also if you're using multimedia, if you're showing live videos, if you're showing, um, you know, a different, uh, a PowerPoint presentation with pictures and facts and information, it's really not easy to translate that to a film 
right? It's, it's better to be able to actually incorporate that into the final product that you're putting out there uh, for a virtual presentation. You still want it to look very professional to sure. keep people engaged. So um, I think that we're still going to be experimenting with this whole model uh, over the next year. And, uh, you know, each of our clients is being very thoughtful about what makes sense for their population, depending on what type of event it is as well. Yeah. You know, I think it's interesting. I mean, what I hope that we take, I mean, first of all, I love the fact of what you said, that people are grateful to be out and in person and connecting and aligning with a mission. That's just wonderful. Great byproduct of a two years of ugh, whatever that was. Right. Um, and, and now with that, we have that mindset versus the, oh, I got to get dressed and go out mindset. Right. So that's a, a great positive. But I am hoping that the other positive is that we do figure this out. Right. Because not everybody could attend events. I'm raising a son with special needs. It's not as easy for my husband and I to get out. Um, and if we are going to get out, sometimes we need just our own time rather than going to an event because it's 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 not easy raising a child with special needs. So I I I think that there's 365 days of fundraising and um 365 days of opportunity to connect and engage. And if we learned anything from the pandemic, we have to keep doing that somehow, some way. And maybe we didn't figure it out because we were reactive during the pandemic, but this is our opportunity to be proactive and to figure that out, you know, whatever that means. So I hope that's a byproduct of oh, all of absolutely. this. Oh, absolutely. And that's been a discussion point for every single one of our clients. So for example, we're doing an event with a client uh, in early June, and we decided to have, we rented a very beautiful museum here in the Chicagoland area. And they also have a beautiful plaza for a room for a tent. So even though the mask mandate has been lifted, um, they are really very much preparing for, okay, we're going to eat outside um, under the tent. Um, and even if it rains, there will absolutely be, you know, the opportunity to still continue with the event. And when we do the formal program, we're going to move inside and, um, it's going to be a stadium seating and people can mask, um, if it makes sense at that point in time. So we're really still trying to adjust the events so that people like you who have children, you know, at home that have special needs or individuals that have other immunocompromised family members, that they can still come to the event and feel comfortable. The event that we had on Saturday night was in a very large, high ceiling room. Um, and part of our event was outside. So the doors were open, the fresh air was coming in and there was circulation. So I do think that, you know, there it's also a unique opportunity to think about the venues that will pull people in, that will excite them and make them feel comfortable. Well, it's, it's kind of nice. It's kind of nice to hear and feel that maybe our in-person activity is just going to be a little bit more intentional and inclusive instead of the, you know, no disrespect to hotels, but until, instead of the hotel ballroom that could hold, you know, with the pretty chandelier that can hold, you know, 200, 300 people that we're, we're now thinking about different things. Well, how do we engage people that might need to or want to be home or how do we bring fresh air in or how just, just a breath of fresh air to, to our events. I, I actually think it's a positive. 
Absolutely. And maybe even if you have to go the hotel route, because that's what's available to you, maybe finding a hotel room that's a little larger than you would normally go to instead of packing people in, right? We've all been to the chicken dinners where everybody is packed into the event and you literally have no space between your chair and the person behind you. But maybe we can't do that anymore. Yeah. Maybe we have to be a little more thoughtful about maybe getting the hotel room that can accommodate three to 400 people and only having 200 people in the room. So we can just spread out a little bit more and not be directly on top of each other. Or get creative because I know myself being an event planner, um, that was like, you know, event planning 101, right? You don't, you don't want the room to look too vast, right? So that you don't look sold out, but maybe it's a time to have like a giving tree or a photo op, or, you know, you can fill the spaces with different things that might actually be revenue generating and then also be intentional about you know, safe practices. So um, I bet we, I, I, I mean, I, I've had the pleasure of speaking to you a number of times and I know you're super creative. I'm loving that you're helping your clients exceed their goal, but if you don't mind, I would love to pivot a little bit because you are just such a trailblazer. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're consulting with fundraising, you know, you're not just I mean, hey, it's important to make any company profitable and revenue generating, but, uh, you know, helping a, a cause or a mission raise money for their, you know, their their programming and building better tomorrows is such an important, you know, role. And you're consulting with these organizations every day, but you're really doing it as a woman in a male-dominated consulting field. And I'd love to talk about that a little bit because you're, you're so highly regarded for what you do. You do what you do well. And how do you do it? <laughs> That's a loaded question. I know, but yeah, let's just jump right in. Direction do, do I go in? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much. Uh, you know, I think that, um, you know, every at every point in our career, we have things that are more important to us than others, right? And I think when I was younger in my career, um, I really thought to myself, wow, I just really want to make a difference every day. I want to wake up. I want to feel good. I, I want to be saving the world, right? I think that that's very common for in your 20s. So I was very fortunate to fall into a degree. I got my master's in social work, which was more of a macro degree where I was able to focus on management of nonprofit organizations and board and leadership development and how do you raise dollars. So my training really right from the get-go was management of nonprofit organizations. So I really didn't think I wasn't really in the therapeutic piece part of that field, but that was also important, right? Because when we're coming into nonprofits, we're dealing with a lot of emotions and personalities and feelings, right? So you also need to be able to, when you're working with nonprofits, really support the people um, within that organization. And if you're also doing a lot of problem solving, especially as a consultant, being able to help organizations and boards facilitate those hard conversations are very essential. So it first really started, uh, you know, getting into the field and really saving the world. And then I started having my family. And I think that as a woman, um, you know, I was very fortunate to work in a number of organizations internally where um, I was allowed to have flexibility, 
um, where I was allowed to maybe work from home um, a little bit. I was able to maybe come in at off hours, uh, you know, make sure that I was feeling that I was doing a good job at home and doing a job in the work uh, space environment. And the word balance, I think, is not really the right word. I'm not sure where we're going to go with that word as women in the near future. Um, But um, I do think that the most important thing is that you're feeling that you're able to juggle the balls that you have in the air as effectively as possible. And so then I entered that part of it. And I think that's around the time that I decided that I wanted to be a consultant um, because I thought, oh, well, I'll have flexibility. Oh, I'll be able to make my own schedule. And as John, as you and I have talked about, you know, yeah, being a consultant is literally all the time. Yes. Right? 24-7 so, job, for sure. <laughs> right. I know. Um, so in my first business, I think that that was a huge learning curve for me, right? As working so many hours, I, I like to, to say to women who are coming to work for us is that, listen, you're still going to have to work really, really, really hard. But if you need to go to your kid's classroom to volunteer, if you need to take somebody to a soccer game, if you need to go work out and take a yoga class, make sure that you're doing those things because those are really important, but also the bar is really high for your product delivery. And I think that that's, I think that that is the most important thing that I've learned is that you can still be very well regarded. You can still work really hard um, at your job. You can still work really hard at being a mom, a wife, a friend, Um, and you can do it, but at some point something's going to give. And that's just the reality. And you have to be a little bit, I think as a woman, you have to be a little bit comfortable with that, right? Like is, am I going to be competing with the largest consulting firms in the Chicago land area or on a national level? Probably not because I have to make certain choices, as mm-hmm. a, right? What am I going to prioritize? And it, it's okay. Like if, if for other women, that's important, you want to be competing with the largest firms in the area. That's totally fine. You should be able to make that choice, but know that something else is going to get. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think that it's, I have decided as a woman that it's important for me to model behaviors that work well for me and to support women and, and, the behaviors and the choices that they make in their lives and in their fields and in their careers. Um, because I think that I don't like to see women pit each other against each other. I think oh my gosh, things that we do as women horrible. Uh, and that automatic jump to judgment. Well, why did she do that? Or why isn't she at this or why, you know, I think we have to see through um, all that, Respect choices. Yes. Yeah. Let's let's respect choices. Let's support each other. Let's be on each other's teams. Um, And I think that that is something that I've really chosen, especially in my second firm, to very much model is that you can work, you can have a career, but you can also have a family Mm -hmm. and you can feel good about both of those things. And that's all about creating from the top down, I believe, 
a supportive environment for that to happen. Yeah. And I don't think that there's right, right or wrong. I mean, whatever your balance is, and I agree with you on that word balance, right? I, I balance doesn't necessarily mean 50, 50 that, you know, the scales are, you know, always, always even, um, you know, you could, um, you could and should be allowed the freedom to make your choices and to change your choices, you know, like my, my children were maybe, I don't want to say more of a priority because if they're listening, they'd be like, what mom, what'd you just say? (laughs) But but, you know, Alyssa's, you know, (laughs) Alyssa's a freshman in college and she's becoming an independent woman and, you know, doesn't need me to wipe her mouth of, you know, the, 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 grape jelly on her face anymore. Right. So I could focus on my career. So my balance is changing right now and um, it's okay. If I want whatever it is that I want to make a priority, I think it's really okay for anyone, man or woman, right. Um, You could have it all, but you just might not be able to have it all at the same time. And it's a matter of making, making those choices and, and being okay with them. Like you said, you know, you're having a thriving, successful, well-respected, you know, business and you don't necessarily need to compete with the, you know, top two agencies in Chicago. And that's your choice. Right. Exactly. That's my choice. And that's, that is important to be comfortable with that. I think that the most important that every woman or man should, should say, should really say to themselves, am I happy? on a day-to-day basis? Do I feel fulfilled? Do I feel like I am making a difference? Do I feel that, that I'm giving enough time to the people in my life that need to be, to have that time? And if you can answer those questions in the affirmative, then you are in a, in a good place. If you can't, then you should, then you should evaluate. Because I think that if anything we've learned from the last two years is that life is short and it could, you know, and it could turn right away. And you have to feel that you are in, um, that you have made choices that are good for you, good for your family. And you should not make excuses to anybody else about what those excuse, what those choices are. Um, and I, I, I feel that I also have, you know, a child in college right now. And, you know, it's so funny because my husband and I were talking about this last night. I feel like 20, 30 years ago, if a woman was like, had expensive choices or, um, you know, they, they liked fancy things. They would be like, oh, I have to marry somebody rich. Right. And now what I hear my daughter say is I better work my butt off and get a really good job so I can make a lot of money because I have expensive taste. And I think I hear that from my daughter too. I think we're, we have a new generation and a new mindset, which is good. Exactly. And that I think is a huge shift, right? Um, is that we're raising a job. I would never say that to my daughter, never in a million years. And I think I heard my mother say it to me. That's what I never would I say, Alyssa, listen, if you like the finer things in life, you better find (laughs) it. I would never say that. Right. But that was commonplace a generation or two ago. And we're, we're evolving into a place where, yeah. So anyways, I, I think it's really, I think that you know, we're, we're still new into this, right? Like women working full time, like we're not generations and generations working outside of the home, excuse me, because women have 
I have to say my at home, you know, in the home, you know, work is <laughs> quite intensive. Um, but I do think that, you know, anybody who's working outside of the home as a woman, like this is new, right? This isn't like generations and generations. Yeah. I'm first generation. Exactly. There's yeah. not all of this experience out there for us to learn from. Like a generation back, those women were trailblazers. Yeah. You know, they were figuring it out for us. And we still have to figure it out for the generation below us. And they're going to do an even better job than we're doing. That's so. helpful. All right. Hold that thought. We're going to we're okay. going to break for um, a short moment and we're going to come back and, and, and talk a little bit more. It's just a fascinating conversation. So we'll be right back. The Raise Awards are back, celebrating you in 2022. Each year, the Raise Awards honor the vision, passion, and dedication of top fundraising professionals and their nonprofits, featuring them at the industry's top event fundraising conference, Raise. So whether you wish to nominate a friend or enter on behalf of your own nonprofit, go to raise.onecause.com and click on awards to learn more. But hurry, submissions close June 1st, so apply today. Welcome back to Raise Nation Radio. We've been chatting with Stephanie Pessis-Weil. Um, really interesting conversation just about, um, you know, women in a male-dominant field, uh, fundraising, uh, consulting, board management, how that all integrates and connects and comes out on the other end and being fabulous. And we know, Stephanie, you have made that fabulous. So we really want to hear the secret of your success. But I, I know one of your areas of strength is a board management and um, board engagement, um, aside from doing all the other stuff that you do. Um, and that's really male dominated right now. So how do you get into that mindset of engaging board of directors and helping your clients do what they need to do um, while you're balancing all the other things that you're doing. It's, yeah, yeah. Let's chat, chat a little bit about that. Sure. Well, we know that boards are the backbones of nonprofit organizations. Without the board, without a strong board, we know that nonprofits cannot be as successful as they need to be, right? So typically when we are hired for organizations, um, one of the first areas that we look at is the board. Um, and you know, oftentimes there's a certain culture that's been set or established. There's um, certain, um, maybe there's a lack of expectations. Maybe there's, um, you know, just certain, like we get stuck in our ways. We all get stuck in our ways. Um, I, think, I and, think board selection starts right there. Typically when a nonprofit's starting out, it's like the uncle, brother, cousin, friend, you know, exactly becomes the board. <laughs> right. Exactly. And, 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 and boards have life cycles. Just like, you know, just, just like anything, a board also has a life cycle. So, you know, you might be in that beginning life cycle phase and, you know, and it's hard to get out of that sometimes because, you know, oftentimes that means hiring a staff person and taking a risk and spending money, um, you know, and, and boards, you know, sometimes you find a board that's very comfortable with that. And sometimes you find a board that's very, very conservative and they don't really want to spend those dollars because at the end of the day, the fiscal responsibility falls on their shoulders, right? So we really find a whole 
slew of issues and you can't go into any one board and just think you're going to tackle it with the same exact solution every single time. Ah. You do have to go into each board and get to know them for who they are and what, how they've been practicing, what life cycle phase of the life cycle that they're in, who's on the board, how many board members. I mean, I've worked with boards where there's five board members. I worked with boards where there's 60 board members. Um, So, you know, you helping them really kind of focus in and, and prioritizing the issues that they need to identify and face in the, the immediate. And then what can we kind of parking lot and wait uh, to address until a later date when those first priority items have been addressed. So um, I would say that, you know, I, the most interesting thing that I've seen, especially in the last 10 to 15 years is the evolution of the board um, Hmm. and who's sitting on boards. Um, I think that we see, you know, it used to be a very male dominated you know, board structure that you referred to. Um, I think that that's changing a little bit. I think that the demographics of boards are changing. I think there's a lot of DEI um, that is going on. So is our, how can we really look and and diversify our board? Um, How can we bring on different voices? Um, What are the demographics that we can bring in that will really give us a variety of different voices? Um, You know, can we... Uh, you know, can we identify individuals that are able to bring in dollars? Can we identify individuals that, um, you know, can bring in a younger demographic so that we can help grow with the organization? Do we have the female voice represented um, on our board? Um, do we have an LGBTQ representative on our board? Uh, you know, so really just depending on the organization, what we're really helping boards to do is figure out who, um, is on the board at the time and what do we need to do to really help them grow and identify those gap areas um, that they might be missing. It could also be professional gaps, right? They might be an organ, an educational organization and they have tons of um, you know, teachers on the boards, but do they have the parents? Do they have a student voice? Do they have alumni represented? So really helping them understand that the more that they have those voices represented, um, the more successful they're going to be um, helping to manage the organization. Wow, that's interesting because I thought the approach was always make sure you have legal and make sure you have financial and make sure you have, but Wow. Like looking at the mission and making sure that all the voices are represented is definitely not something I ever thought about Um, Mm -hmm. because I sit on a couple of different boards and I help my daughter run her own nonprofit and I never really looked at it that way. So that's you're really becoming an authentic mission or an authentic nonprofit when you're having all the voices of the stakeholders represented in represented in the boardroom. That's a fantastic way to look at it. Absolutely. Um, Wow. Yeah. Do they want, do they want their organization to represent the mission that, you know, their board to represent the mission that they're serving. And so, um, so we really spend a lot of time looking at that and helping them to strategically identify individuals that can fulfill those roles and help to really strengthen the, the core leadership that is leading their organization. 
Wow. So now how t- talk to us a little bit about your, you've had a number of different businesses. You've settled into this place that I think your happy place is with your professional yes. life, yes. which is fantastic. Yes. Congratulations. Thank Cause you. I know yes. you, you've gotten the Stephanie balance, whatever that balance is. And you've made <laughs> yeah. Very good, good choices. But how does this all connect? You know, you, 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 you help with events, you help consult nonprofits, board management, like what's the repertoire of the services that you offer? Because it's pretty vast. Yeah, absolutely. So anything that really falls under nonprofit management as it relates to fundraising and board and leadership is really in our key competency area. So when we're talking about strategic fundraising programs, integrated annual campaigns, anything that falls in the fundraising element, right? So we're talking about events. We're talking about major gifts. We're talking about not just the fundraising pieces, but how are we thanking donors? How are we educating them? How are we keeping them engaged in the organization so that we're not just connecting with them one time a year at an event, one time a year through an end of year campaign um, so that they're, they know what's going on throughout the course of the year. They're getting that phone call from somebody who um, is just calling to say thank you. You know, thank you. For no that. ask, just thank you. No ask, just saying thank you. Or they're being invited to hear a special speaker, you know, throughout the course of the year that the organization brings in to speak on a topic and there's no ask, right? So how are we engaging people that so that they feel connected to what you're doing? Um, I think that those are just so important. That is one, I would say that is the most important thing that we teach our organizations how to do um, is how to maintain those connections and those relationships in between the ask. Um, And then of course, board and leadership development really folds into all of that, right? How are they strategically guiding the organization? Do they understand their role as fundraisers? Um, Do they understand that they're fiscally responsible for the organization? And how are we supporting them? We can't just say to a board, okay, your job is to fundraise. Now go out and- Go out and fundraise, right? Right. Okay, bye-bye, go ahead. Right, Right? because they're power, they could be powerful. They could be well-networked. They could have great intentions, but at the end of the day, they're a board member, not necessarily a marketer or a fundraiser. So you have to give them those tools. Is that what you're saying? I hope that's what you're saying. Are we training them correctly? Are we giving them the tools? Do they know how to tell the story of the organization, right? Do they know how to actually, you know, I see somebody in the grocery store and I've got 30 seconds to tell them about the important work that I'm doing. Do I have that quick 30 second elevator? Right. Oh yeah. I work for this organ. Uh, I sit on the board. I think they kind of like when you sort of like all these, (laughs) (laughs) they can't like at the beginning of this podcast, when I was stumbling over my words, like you don't want to do that. That is not (laughs) a very good first impression. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Give yourself some grace because I hit you up in the middle of event season. So that's not fair. You know, and I think that's what's unique and interesting about your, your, your company, because I never really combined the whole board management engagement leadership with, you know, 365 fundraising and events. It's like the trifecta, right? It's like the triangle. And I think that's why you're so successful because you typically see those in silos, right? You typically see those, you know, kind of specialties, but they really are interconnected, right? There's intimacy Mm -hmm. there. And, um, 
really, I just applaud what you do. And, and I think that's really your, your recipe right there, you know, for success. Um, we're coming up. I can't believe we've talked well over a half hour, but I, um, I'm so fascinated. I think we have to have another whole conversation about major gifts. So we're going to have to invite you back to um, Raise Nation Radio for for a whole part two. But how can people get in touch with you? Where where are you? I mean, I know you're in Chicago, so I hope we're having dinner when when one cause is in there for the Raise Conference. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) You better be coming over and saying hello. (laughs) You and I, we're going out, baby. All right. Um, Yeah, so um, let's, uh, so the best way to reach us is by going to our website and empowered nonprofits.com. It's exactly how it's spelled, how it sounds. It's spelled. Um, and uh, you can just go there at the bottom of our site is a contact um, box and you can put in your name and your contact information and reach out um, to us. Or you can email me. My first name is Stephanie with an F as in Frank. So S-T-E-F-A-N-I-E at empowerednonprofits.com. Great. And you know what? You can also come to the race conference in September in Chicago, because I'm going to make sure Stephanie's there. We'll be the two that are having, um, some type of beverage with some hors d'oeuvres, um, that I'm sure you'll be able to easily find us. We will for sure be there. Um, I have already purchased my ticket and I hope that everybody listening will do so too. And, um, we look forward to seeing you. Oh, fantastic. Well, it's always a pleasure. I'd love to invite you back. We have so much to talk about, major gifts, board engagement, fundraising, thank yous, events, <laughs> the list goes on and on. We're going to have to have you on Raise Nation like as a regular, I think. I would um, love that, Donna. <laughs> so much fun. Well, thanks for your time today. Fearless fundraisers, that's about all the time we have. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's Raise Nation topic and your daily dose of fundraising inspiration. Tune in for a new episodes release every Thursday, 1230 p.m. Eastern time. That's Thursdays, 1230 Eastern time. Uh, But in the meantime, follow us on any channel that you'd like, uh, whatever your favorites are so that you can get all the notifications about our new guests. Um, We know that fundraisers um, are doing amazing things to build better tomorrows for our communities. Stories on Raise Nation are awe-inspiring. You won't want to miss a single episode. I would like to thank our sponsor, One Cause, for making this episode possible. One Cause is driving the future of fundraising with easy-to-use software solutions that help nonprofits connect with their donors. Be sure to check them out at onecause.com and visit the resource tab on our homepage for a broad catalog of eBooks and blogs and infographics that I'm sure you'll find helpful. A huge shout out and great thanks to my guest, Stephanie Pessis-Weil for her expert and authentic voice. Stephanie, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me, Don. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, for me too. I enjoyed our conversation. Well, for our audience, that's about all that we have. Um, thank you again so much. It is a wrap. Until next time, I'm Don Lego, and this is Raise Nation Radio. Stay fearless out there. 